0: Good morning and welcome back to another week Are Sunderland morning. Briefing with myself, Matty Hewitt, Joe Ramage. I was going to do a pause, you know, like they're doing, like you say, your name is, like, could be some dynamic double act, but I'll, I'll save that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> How's it going? You all right?
0: Yeah, good, you.
1: Yeah, I'm not bad. I'm still just about clinging on to sort of the New Year's resolution of trying to get out for a walk in the morning, so.
0: Yeah, I've um, I've pied that one off this morning, I've let... let... Misses take the dog out, so it's a good start. <laughs> good start, yeah. yeah we, we are Sunderland, obviously. We are in partnership with the Farm Museum, We're also in partnership with Cospex Opticians, who've recently come on board. Um, you know, new site, been up and going for about two months. Place to be for everything red and white, tactical analysis, ex, uh, exclusive interviews, and expert opinion. Um, you can subscribe for just one pound for six months' worth of coverage. All the details are is over on, on our site. Let's get in with Joe. Swansea, what did you make of the game as a whole? First of all, Um,
1: I think, well, you described it as a game of two halves, didn't you? Yesterday, Um, I'll go along with that a little bit, but I mean, the first half was was really, really poor. It was, it's probably as bad as I've seen something for some time, to be honest. Um, It was just they were just all over the shop to be honest now i'll counter that by I, I will say swat i thought Swansea were excellent in the, in the first half in particular i thought they were really really good and they and they totally nullified anything that sun could do but the setup for me was well i mean mike dodd said it didn't he that it, it was wrong doesn't take an expert to acknowledge that but it, it was really wrong it was it was so it, it was as though it was the players were, were confused from the off you know we, we were sitting up there and Even sort of five or ten minutes in, I think we were still posing the question to each other, weren't we? Sort of, how are someone setting up here? Because there was, you had the back three, but then in front of that, there were so many sort of interchanging parts, and it was so, everyone was moving around to the point where it was just confusing. It was confusing on the eye, and I think it was confusing for the players as well. And that ultimately showed in what was, what ended up being a really poor first 45 minutes, and you know, they were 2 0 down they were really fortunate that it wasn't three, four, five, to be honest, because Swansea just, they cut through them at will, you know, they were outnumbering them, the the turnovers, that was one thing that really surprised me, even with the change of system. So players who are quite notoriously reliable in possession, you know, like Dan Neal and and Pierre Equa, they were giving the ball away really easy. Now, looking back through it, you can see that Swansea were outnumbering them two in midfield in particular, but... Yeah, the the turnovers were a real concern um, and they just couldn't get to grips with it. They could not get to grips with it. Uh, Ronald on the wing was, was really impressive, obviously got the two goals as well, but he positioned himself really well in between sort of Hjelda and Styles, who just didn't really have that synergy on the left as a new partnership. I think <laughs> Styles was a difficult debut for him, certainly in the first half until he moved out over onto the wing. And it was just all too, it was too muddled, it was too confusing and, and the players didn't really seem to buy into what they were being instructed to do. And I, I think Dodds, he, he probably he just about acknowledged, didn't he, that he he probably overcomplicated it, if we're being honest, um, trying to maybe build on sort of what he did in December, specifically that Leeds game. Um, now, I know obviously there was some changes that were enforced. Obviously, Jack Clark missing out, yeah. and Dan Ballard suspended, which is going to force your hand a little bit. But yeah, he was probably a little bit trying to be a little bit too clever with it, m- maybe. Um, and, and Swansea, yeah, they, they, they were really good and read it, and they were full value for the for the win for me because, like I say, it could have been out of sight at halftime. Second half, there was a reaction. I think well it had to be. It couldn't be as bad, really. But even then, it was you, you kind of fell back into what has been the story of this season, where they didn't really have that sort of cutting edge in the final third, and obviously without Jack Clark, where you don't have that invention, that creativity, that spark. There was just, there wasn't really a lot going forward. You know, I don't think Rushworth and Goal had much to do, did he? So, yeah, it was a really disappointing afternoon and one that, you know, I mean, obviously the playoffs are still there until they mathematically not, but it certainly feels as though they're probably going to be gone now.
0: Yeah, I mean, just on, on that first half, it was pretty calamity, wasn't it? There's there's no getting away from from how poor that first half performance was. What's interesting obviously is there's been plenty of talk about the inconsistencies of some in this season and while I do I do acknowledge I think Mike Dodds is right that it was a different that there was different reasons behind why this the game against Swansea had in, in different halves I do think a lot of that is down to the shape as you see I think they just the the, the wingers of I think it was Plachetta and and Ronald just got in down the sides far too easily and <clears throat> I think what what was interesting was that Mike Dodds was confident. He says, Look, "I wouldn't have sent the players out there if I didn't if if I wasn't 100% certain that they knew the game plan." Now, I found that pretty interesting. And he went on to talk about structure as well, didn't he? Say how we were more we had more men behind the ball, which in theory that is that is what paid dividends when Sunderland came up against Leeds in his previous tenure. They were more structured, alright. They had a back Three back five, but you had the two out like outlets and wingers in Clark, and I think it was Bar on that occasion. And I think I think that as well is something that Michael Beale spoke about before he went is trying to impose a bit more structure into into Sunderland when either they they don't have the ball. Now, okay, you can argue that it, it hasn't worked, and in part that was that was why Michael Beale went, but. I'd question is the underlying issues there because Mike, Mike Dodds came out and says, you know, it was the mentality of the first half performance that that was a cause for concern. Now, he doesn't think that that is, you know, an issue for the entire group, but it was in that um, first half. Now, I found that pretty interesting. What did you make of that?
1: Yeah, it was because I think to everyone else, it was a concern. Um, yeah. you know, I, I, I get where he's coming from in terms of the heat. I think he put it as he could see the wood through the trees this time, couldn't he? Yeah. Um, Which, uh, I guess there's a, it depends which side of the fence you sit on here because you can give him a little bit of credit for being bold, as he said that he was going to be, you know, I'm not afraid to make bold decisions in my time in the seat and that was certainly a bold decision but then, I think it, it was so clear inside 10 minutes, 15 minutes that it wasn't working. Mm. That it could have been changed then there and then you know and it wasn't until yeah. when 2-0 down where there was even sort of where it did get to, our Styles came over to the right towards the end of the first half didn't he so it is a, it's a different one you can, I mean you can understand why fans are frustrated with that because like I say I think pretty much well, my Dodds would have seen it as well he could see that it wasn't working but to wait until you're 2-0 down it's, it's a difficult situation to put yourself in isn't it to try and get back into a game um what will be interesting is how he goes this weekend against Norwich, whether that is something that he's learned from and because Sonnen did look a bit more comfortable when they were back in the sort of the four three three or the four two three one, which is sort we've seen variations of that over the last few weeks with Michael Beale, haven't we? That first half. Just it just didn't didn't work, just didn't get going.
0: Yeah, what's what's interesting as well is how we're gonna try and decipher how how they did set up in that first half because from the outset we we had a guess and we thought there'd be two tens. There was actually it was actually Bar and Rusin as like it was it was like a three five two with Job as a ten. However, Job pushed forward to then act as a striker with Rusin and Bar splitting. But yeah. then there was confusion in that is in that Job it appeared anyway that he didn't know when to drop in. I think were, I think he probably changed it twice. You know I think he probably changed it to a a three four three from a three five two. And then into the four because there was a period midway through the first half where Job was central as, as a striker. Now there was plenty of talking points coming in. It wasn't it? would we see Styles as a left wing back? Would we see Rusin either play up front or play off the wing? On the latter of those two, I don't think we actually got to see the best of that as as a trial.
1: No, we didn't. I mean, we've heard about Rusin playing across the forward line. You know, in, in recent weeks under Michael Beale but I think the suggestion was that it would be from the left so when him going mm-hmm. out on the right that in itself was a bit of a surprise yeah. but I, I think you're right in terms of Job it was so different in and out of possession which you know, which is fair enough a lot of teams and a lot of coaches yeah, will yeah. do that but it, it was true it was amplified so much you know you had Trey Hume jumping into midfield Styles on the other side took him in which then left the space for the wing yeah. you know mm-hmm. the overloads on the wings which is where the goal the first goal came from but even going back and watching it, I think within 20 seconds, you know, when the teams were set up with a kick-off, you could sort of see the three centre-backs, the two wing-backs, and then those in front. But within about 20 seconds, it was lopsided where they got in down the left-hand side. So it was straight away from the bat, you could see that it was a little bit disjointed. Um, and like I said, I, I know that Hume has done that quite a lot this season in terms of tucking in and being that spare man in midfield. I don't know. Again, I just don't know if it's a case of and this isn't just Mike Dodds because it's happened all season. It's been Michael Bale and Tony Morbray who have done this. Just overcomplicating things a little bit. Sometimes you just want your fullback or your wing back to be your fullback or your wing back. Especially yeah. if when you're missing key players like a jack, if you if you haven't got a jack Clark on the other side, sometimes you just need that simplicity for me. Um, and I know it's obviously easy to say that in hindsight because of the way that the game went. But yeah, sometimes I think a lot of coaches and and managers, they they do overcomplicate things by doing that. And up front was exactly the same in terms of. I don't think Bar and Rusin knew when, yeah, all the time went to stay wide and, and drop in when when Job was dropping in and out of being a nine and a ten, so to speak. And it was like, say, f- from the back, it was just all a little bit disjointed in the first half. as one. Well. I mean, the one thing you would say is you'd like to think that they'll sit and watch all the clips through this week, yeah, and they'll they'll be able to pick apart what was sort of wrong with how they set up and and how things went and you know what could they do because you could see I I, I know Dodds was saying that it was an aggressive approach and when you look at it there is quite high press with Hume popping up into that midfield spot yeah and I think Grimes might have been the target man where once he got it he was the trigger for people to press but once if he could flick the ball around you've taken five or six men out and the amount of times that Swansea were getting 3v3 or outnumbering the centre backs it was you know, it, it was far too often in the first half. And yeah. i say they, they could have been three, four or five up. And it was, yeah. I mean, like I say, they addressed it at half-time, but the damage was already
0: done at that point. Yeah, you spoke about the simplicity there. And I think it's something we touched on just during the game as well, up in the press box. It was, Swansea were really good, weren't they? But they didn't yeah. over it, I don't think. I think one player in particular for them, and it's obviously not a Swansea City podcast, but I thought Joe Allen was just yeah. ran the show. And in turn, that only strengthens... The claim of he's an experienced, experienced player. And Sunderland didn't have the nouse I don't think, in midfield. And I've been full of praise for the likes of Dan Neil. I just think it was a... I'm not singling him out for, for any criticism in particular because I think the whole team had an off day and it was really difficult to pick out a star performer. But in, in the midfield area, I think Pierre Equal was probably Sunderland's best player on the day. Every more so in the second half. But Joe Allen just absolutely ran the show. I think he picks up the ball for the second goal, doesn't he? Yeah. That that loose pass, he just he just jumped on it, he just knew when to go. Played in yeah. Ronald there, you go 2-0. It was it yeah, was yeah. so simple to watch, yet it just just worked effortlessly.
1: Yeah, you've took the words out of my mouth there. If you go back and watch that second goal, as soon as Sealt wins the ball, because like I think it's Grimes who clears it away from that press that I've just mentioned about Sealt wins it, drops it back to 09. Alan knows that that's going to go in to Neil and yeah. you can see him charging from 15 yards away. Neil looks over his shoulder, but he still can't do anything about it because when the pass comes in, it's a little bit wayward and he's on it. And then they outnumber them again. And like yeah. you're right in what you're saying, that that was a common theme throughout the first, the first half where they were able to just jump on either Echo or Neil, who, like I said, you often associate with being quite tidy in possession. And certainly Neil over recent weeks, like you say, we've praised him a lot in terms of his ball retention. They just couldn't cope with it. And and Alan was the instigator in in, in that press, without a doubt.
0: I mean, as you've touched on there, it's it's Norwich coming up next. Now, obviously, a direct rival would be difficult enough, let alone it's on the road. So it's not something that Sunderland have fared well with. And I think, obviously, speaking to Mike Dodds after the game, he, he was still pretty annoyed about the defeat of Bristol City on the road. That would have been one of very few wins had had he been able to get his way and, and come away with three points. But it, it's another obstacle. And I wonder how how long it goes on until it starts to become a thing in, in the mind of, of players where, oh, we haven't won away mm-hmm. in, in how however, however knows how long.
1: Yeah, it, it would be something where I'd say, you know, it might not be such a bad thing being away from home after Saturday because... I think there was a little bit of an uplifting move, in mood, sorry, after, you know, what happened last week with the change of head coach. I think there was a lot of sort of support and rallying around Mike Dodds getting put back in, in charge. I think a lot of people might have said that that should have happened in December. <laughs> Obviously, the way that it went, it became frustrating again for sports. So normally I would have said, yeah, it's not necessarily a bad thing going away from home, and, but you two are of to let way form this season. It, it becomes really daunting. Um, I suppose, rightly or wrongly, you could say that the pressure is almost off Sunderland now because eight points adrift. It, it feels as though they're a long way out of, of, of going to being able to make a challenge for that top six. So you, you can go into these three games, and I say that they're probably they're not expected to get anything. You know, lost three in a row now, and you're going up against teams that are in form. It, it's a difficult run, even if Sunderland are in form. You know, these three games yeah. would have been would have been really tough. So when you're out of form. And everything that's going on, you know, we, they they're still without Dan Ballard at the weekend. We don't know yet on Jack Clark. I don't want to say it's a free hit because you know Sunderland is still while it's mathematically possible, which it's going to be for another couple of weeks yet. But it does almost feel as though it is a bit of a free hit going into these games. Just just try and make something happen, and you know, probably be typical Sunderland to go and get a result in one of these games when you're not mm-hmm. expecting it. Um, just to sort of keep those those hopes alive, wouldn't it? You know, we've seen that in recent seasons. I think Norwich last season had been a case in point. It was a similar sort of time in the year. They went down there, sort of in and around, and then you go to a difficult place like Carroll Road, and then they came away with a 1-0 win. You know, it wouldn't be on the realms of possibility that something like that could, could happen. But yeah, it, from the outside, doesn't feel as though that would be the case, would have gone into it?
0: Yeah, it's something that you've I know you've spoken about a lot on here, that particularly after the Borough game, there's a sense of inevitability around it where... I don't think, I've, I've been full of optimism for them and thinking that they'll fit in, but I just, I, I think after that display and the three games in particular, you've got to win those those types of games against teams in the bottom half if you are to really, you know, stamp stamp your authority on that top six. And I think you've you've just been nailed on the head with that. I think, <clears throat> interestingly as well, you posed the question about... Um, Jack Clark after the game. There were some interesting comments there from Mike Dodds, and I know you've done a bit on, on the website today.
1: Yeah, it was just a case of, you know, we, we, we guessed that, well, Dodds, he pretty much confirmed that Clark was going to be missing. Proved to be the case. So who's going to step up? You know, I, I was quite surprised. I don't know what I was quite surprised that Romeo Mundell didn't start yeah, on I was Saturday. Too. You know, I, I know we touched on it in the team news video that we did. I, I thought he might have kept his spot. Now I think looking at it obviously that was probably a bit more tactically rather than sort of because of his performance you know with them coming narrow and staying wide um but did any of them set up no they probably didn't i mean mundel came on in the second half and they were better in the second half he did he put a really good cross in actually later on where you know classic case of what we've spoken about all season that strike the gambling and box being the right place at the right time but i thought his answer was really good to be honest with that and it made a lot of sense um in terms of the Jack Clark that we see now isn't the Jack Clark that Sunland signed two years ago on loan. And he's absolutely right about that. You know, Jack Clark had a couple of failed loans in the championship before he found a bit of a home here. He came in on loan and then he wasn't exactly the first name on the team sheet every week in, in the end of that League One campaign. You know, he was on the bench in the playoff final. So the first six months, you could even say the first 12 months because the first half of last season, you know, it was his numbers didn't really pick up until the second half of last season. When, when Stuart got injured, you know, there was a bit more of an emphasis on him and Amad Diallo. That was when he really kicked on. But the last 12 months, what he's done to develop his game and, and, you know, just improve it and go from level to level to level has been absolutely outstanding, to be honest. And that is why Sonnen are going to lose him in the summer to a higher level and why, why teams like Lazio who are in the Champions League are, are interested in him because of what he's done over the last 12 months. So can you expect a player who's just come in, who's obviously not as much experience as him in the Championship, hasn't had that sort of grounding, if you like, to come in and off the bat and, and perform like how he would produce that moment of magic, that spark, that invention. No, it probably is unrealistic. I think the problem is then it doesn't help Sunderland in this case, does it, in the here and now, which has been the, the issue in in the model, in the approach, getting the balance right between getting these players who, yes, in 12 to 18 months' time, might be able to follow what Jack Clark's done on that trajectory and then balancing it out with players who can come in and make a bit of an impact now. And it was it was really interesting. And I think it was it, it's he's right to say that. I think Mundell in particular, you know, he's very raw but he's shown signs that he could yeah. be decent. Can he get to the levels and the numbers that Clark's at, you know, that would be difficult anyway because he's a bit of an, an anomaly, isn't he? He's, he's he's been that good this season. Barr would be the one that you'd think will be closest because I think he's only six months behind Clark in terms of when he came into the building. But he's three years younger than him. You know, he's moving over. He's only had this time in the championship, even though those lawns were classed as, as struggles or failures for Clark. You know, we're still experiencing this division. Roosan sort of thrown into that category as well, but he only came in in the summer. So it is difficult and probably a little bit harsh to to expect any of those three, of, of a Bar Roosan or a Wundell, to to fill in. Exactly. It was was what someone would miss with Clark being out. But that's where they've got to get to. And the worry would be, based on Saturday, it's quite a long road, isn't it? Until you get someone even close to sort of what Clark can do in terms of his impact in the game. And just what a huge miss, which he knew he would be anyway, but kind of rubber-stamped how big of a miss and how much of an impact he is. And it's not just his goals and assists. It's just occupying that space out on the left. You know, I I think Luke Williams spoke about the game plan, didn't he? in terms of how it, did he set Swansea up, how he thought Sunham would play, you know, with Clark not being available. And he couldn't, he couldn't have guessed how Sunham were going to play. And a lot of that is with Clark not being there because if he had been there, game plans are probably dictated around him. You know, you'll you'll throw two men over there to cover him. But yeah. he didn't necessarily have to do that on Saturday because he wasn't there. That threat isn't perceived to be there and proved to be the case.
0: Yeah, just a little injury update as well. I think Mike Dodd said that he'd be assessed on Monday, isn't it? And, and just to, to see if he'll be... Fit for Norwich, but that was, that was you know, the, the injury there isn't as bad as what I think my dad said was made out on social media. There's no way, or, or there wasn't at least any suggestion that, that he'd be out for a month, more so just a, a couple of weeks, I think, if that. And he could be back in contention for Norwich.
1: That would be the hope, yeah, obviously, especially with Ballard still being out. And I think with Ballard being out as well, you, you noticed him being missing, certainly that first half, because what was that? I think the XG, Swansea had a 2.14 XG Something at right. half-time. I think i looked at it, was it, that would have been their fourth highest over the 90 minutes this yeah. season. And that was just in 45 minutes. So that tells you how much of a loss that Ballard was, as well. But yeah, like you say, Clark, the hope is that he, he will get training again this week and he'll be back in, even if he's just on the bench. You know, if you don't want to risk him because because of like what I touched on before in terms of possibly being a free hit, you can maybe save him for Leicester on the Tuesday night back up at, at the Stadium. of Life. but yeah, the sooner. Both of them get back. they the better
0: for someone, no doubt. Just on the Ballard absence, obviously it was it was difficult as well to judge Jensen Seal. I thought because, he, he, as we say, that first half they were just a, they were just at sea. That was a that was a another game where I think Jensen Seal found himself in the team. hasn't gone The result hasn't gone the way you know Sun wanted to with him in the side, and it's just a really difficult game to, to judge him on, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it was. And I think some of the part of that is obviously with the setup in terms of the wing-backs, yeah. you, you know, because of how much they moved, whether it be pressing so high forward or took an inside, it left that space either side of Fielder on the left and Sail on the right. And and they were getting drawn out and that was why they were getting outnumbered. So, and obviously in that situation, it is going to be difficult for you. Um, and again, I, I think it also shows how much Ballard is missed, you know, and yeah. just organising <clears throat> that. You know, Lugo nine was—he was in there, sort of trying to command and captain them. But even he, he's been good of late. He was off the pace a little bit as well. You know, obviously it was his his passing for the second one as well. But yeah, it was it was a difficult afternoon for Sale. But it was a difficult afternoon defensively, and I think part of that was well, I think a lot of that was down to to the fluctuating system.
0: Yeah, and then interestingly, we'll we'll end on this. Um reports linked Alex Neil with a bit of a sensational return back to the club yesterday I mean if if you read into actually you know what was said he, he wouldn't what was it he wouldn't rule out or he wouldn't say no to a return but I think that's probably just agent talk isn't it because the manner in which he departed Sunderland fans have rightly pointed out on social media yes he did a brilliant job when he was here took them up it was the manner of the departure which I think left a sour taste in the mouth hasn't worked out at Stoke City Wanted more sort of control over the transfers. For me, it's it's not it's not something that I think Sunderland would would look to go back to. But hey, I've been surprised before.
1: Yeah, you can never say never with uh, with it seems, But I'd be hugely surprised if there was anything if there's any substance in in that other than like you say, just a little bit of agent talk with with Neil Stoke. Um The bridge, it, it, I. I, I it would be hard to repair that bridge, I think, given the exit, you know. You have to remember that he, he was still employed by Sunderland when he was at Ewood Park watching Stoke that day that Sunderland played Norwich. You know, that, that that would be hard for supporters to get on board with, you know. Um, I, I know Tony Mowbray came in and the rest is history in terms of the job that he did. And Alex Neil did a really good... You, you know, it, it's because of Alex Neil that the club got out of League One. You know, he he, he sort of instilled that Cameron that, that cohesion, and you know, it, he he ended up getting them out of League One. But the way that it ended, yeah, was was really sour and it would be really difficult for supporters to get on board, I think, for him coming back. And but it would it's difficult as well in terms of like you said, you question the model, he questioned not being able to bring his own players in. Now I think some people might turn and say, Well, you got that autonomy at Stoke and didn't work out well for him why would he then come back and put himself in the situation that he disagreed with before? You know what I mean? He's not the only manager slash head coach who's been in a situation who were question it. has done it. Beal did it to an extent as well. That is the structure that is in place at the club. If he didn't agree with it before, I, I don't see why he would agree with it now. So, yeah, I, I don't think it necessarily adds up for, for a return, but I've been wrong before, and, you know, I mean, I I say, that this club can do strange and wonderful things at the same time, but it seems a long shot for me, a very long shot.
0: Yeah, spot on, Joe. Thanks very much. We'll wrap it up there. If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to like and subscribe. Make sure you've got your notification bell turned on so when we go live on videos like this, you can tune in and have a watch. Um, we are Sunland, obviously, still. Subscribe £1 for just six months' worth of coverage. We've been in partnership with the Farm Museum and Cospex Opticians. We'll catch you again later during the week.